Welcome to the Life Course Podcast from the ESRC International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. In today's episode, we talk to Professor Amanda Saka and Dr Emily Murray about the long-term consequences on a person's health from a childhood spent in care. I started by asking Amanda how she got interested in these potential links. Well, unbelievably, this started during my very first job as a researcher when I was looking at the relationship between early life events and later major mental ill health like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And we found this very strong relationship between being in care in childhood and those later mental health outcomes. Then I went on to do other things and never went back to it again. And then much more recently, I was invited to be on the advisory board of a project on children who had been adopted and their lives as they grew up. Following that, I went to a talk on the Office for National Statistics Longitudinal Study. And I suddenly thought, ah, I could also look at children who had been in care and their adult outcomes using that data set. How fortuitous. I think I'm going to do this. So I did. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, what what around children being in care and their sort of later life outcomes did you want to look at specifically and why? Well, given my academic record of uh, looking at health inequalities, it's no surprise that perhaps that was my first area of research. I was wanting to look at the health outcomes for children who had been in care and whether there were any inequalities there. But, you know, by taking on the WHO definition of health, which is a state of physical, mental and social well-being, and not just the absence of disease or infirmity, I also wanted to look at adult functioning in the round. So I also wanted to look at areas such as work, relationships and family life and housing arrangements. So, Emily, if you could just talk us through then where you got your information from. I know Amanda's already mentioned the ONS Longitudinal Study, um, but what makes it a particularly good uh, source of data for researching the issues that you and Amanda wanted to explore? So it's a 1% sample of the English and Welsh censuses starting in 1971. So that means that anyone who was included in the census, including children, um, is represented across you know, the two countries. And I, and the beautiful thing about this study, and I think why it was chosen for this research is that, you know, these children, or more likely an adult in their households, provided information about them as far back as 1971. Um, And then potentially, you know, going forward, so things like whether they had been in care or not. So I think, in some ways, it's quite a perfect study to be able to look at this. And so then following Um, each census, we could potentially get more and more information from them all the way up until the last census in 2011. So potentially, you know, 40 years of data on, on each person. So that I think that's uh, amazing. I said, so I think for the mortality study, we had um, over 350,000 people total that we could follow. So that would be the most. And then, you know, when we tried to break it down into the smaller groupings by census, maybe you get 150,000 people per census year cohort that you could follow up. So quite a lot of people. 
So yes, that's another advantage of using this study. Okay, so Amanda, when it came to the uh, likelihood of dying prematurely, which was the the first sort of bit of research you 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 undertook, what did you find there? We found an overall increase in the risk of dying earlier was about uh, a seventy percent excess risk for those who had a history of non-parental care in childhood. And even when we took account of some of the known risk factors uh, for premature mortality, the increased risk was still very evident and uh, over 60% increased risk. Then we looked at the cause of death for those that had been in residential care separately from those who had been in a family environment, such as being in foster care or with relatives such as their grandparents. And we found that the cause of death, which was labeled as being attributable to unnatural causes, things like self-harm or accidents, was more common for adults that lived in uh, non-parental care in childhood, both if they'd been in residential care and if they'd been in foster or family care. So that 70% figure that you, you mentioned there, Amanda, is particularly shocking. But there were some other surprising and, and rather depressing things to note. Tell us about those and, and what you think they tell us about the implications of what you found here. Well, the main thing was we then uh, looked to see how things had changed over time. So Emily mentioned that we following people up from 1971, 81, 91 and 2001. And when we separated out the findings by those census cohorts, we found that for people as a whole, there was a general decline in the risk of early death, which is obviously a good thing. But for those who have been in care, the opposite was seen. There wasn't a decline at all. In fact, the risk had increased for the more recent census years than for earlier census years. Um, so that widening inequalities were evident uh, over time. And, and that seems to be particularly shocking, yes. The implications are we're not doing very well by our children who have been in care and giving them long-term support. We suspect from the evidence on the fact that there were more cases of unnatural causes that much of this might be linked with poor mental health. And we would really highlight that as an area to concentrate on when thinking about young people leaving care and growing up, possibly on their own. Yeah, really important. Emily, you went on to uh, look at the same group of people, but this time, as you said earlier, focusing on health outcomes 30 years after being in care. Just talk us through what you were looking at there and how you went about that. Uh, yes, for this uh, next paper, we looked at how people in the study rated their own health. So instead of looking at mortality. So here we looked at whether they gave an answer that could be considered um, good or not good health. And similar to the study on mortality, uh, we knew whether someone was residing, residing outside a parental home when they were a child. Um, but for this study, we expanded those care categories out into type. So whether they were in a relative's home, a non-relative's home, or in a residential care home, and comparing those to people who were living with their parents in childhood. And I think uh, what was really great about the data that we had was that we didn't just have people's health at one follow-up time period, which is what you get in a lot of studies, um, we potentially had it at up to three follow-up periods, so up to 10, 20, 30 years later after that childhood census record. And I think this is important because it gives us 
some idea of when in the life course these health inequalities might be arising or dissipating potentially. And tell us something then of what you've uh, found there about health outcomes in this this group of people. Um, so I think the main message of this paper is that adults who grew up in any type of care setting um, of those uh, three different types had worse self-rated health 10, 20, 30 years later than those who had lived with their parents. And that these health inequalities were there at each of these follow-up periods. So they appeared a bit wider at the 20-year follow-up um, than the 10 or 30-year follow-up, but it wasn't a huge uh, difference. And but, uh, but what this really said to, to me, to us, was that as people age, as they move forward in time, away from having been in care or not, you know, these health differences, you know, they're not going away. Yeah, that's a really important message. And what did you learn then about the, the, the different care settings that children had been in? Yeah, so this was one of the, the most shocking aspects of the project to me. So those people who had been in residential care, you know, compared to being in a parental home, were between three and four times more likely to rate their health as not good, you know, compared to good than those people who had been living with their parents. As an epidemiologist, you know, this is, these are huge numbers. Um, we are used to a factor doubling your risk of health as a big deal. Um, and this is three or four times as high. Um, and I wanted to give so, you know, maybe some background numbers. So to give you an idea of the real numbers behind this, you know, at the 20-year follow-up period, I think it was approximately 37% of adults who had been in residential care said their health was not good. Uh, compared to 15% of adults who had lived with their parents. So that was a huge difference. And then for people who had lived with relatives, the risk was higher, but much less of an increased risk than that residential care group. Some really stark figures. Um, Amanda, both papers paint a, a pretty bleak picture, which uh, would indicate the need for radical changes in, in, in how things are done. What would you say are the key things that, that need to be focused on? What should those with the power to change things do to address these, these really terrible inequalities for these vulnerable children and young people going forward? Well, Emily's just shown that the, uh, the effects on health start uh, as shown quite early in people's 20s and we know that the transition to adulthood these days is not really fully complete until people are into their 30s so our first suggestion might be that we need to extend the time that support's given to care leavers at the moment they're given sort of extra support as they leave care and start that transition into adulthood but it doesn't carry on beyond that initial move out of care. And this really highlights the need for uh, care leavers to have extra support going on for a much longer period of time. Uh, secondly, perhaps if GPs or other health professionals, professionals know of a person's care history, then that person could be priority tracked into receiving specialist mental health support or, phys or a physical health referral. And finally, I'd just like to sort of end on a slightly more positive note. I think we should bear in mind that children do fare much better if they're in relative care. And they're still doing better in foster care than in residential care, as Emily so eloquently outlined. And so I think if at all possible, these options should always be the chosen preference rather than residential care. 
you know, sometimes it's unavoidable that uh, young people have to go into residential care. But I think, you know, if we try and put all our efforts into providing a family environment for young children, that can only be to the good. Funnily enough, I, I was contacted by someone this week who said they had a support network for ex, they were all ex-care leavers. They said that the paper, the health paper, really resonated with all of them because they all had health problems and multiple health problems quite often. And it, so it isn't just mental health problems, it's also physical health, uh, health problems that are affected in adulthood. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life Course podcast, which was presented by me, Chris Garrington. Non-parental care in childhood and health up to 30 years later, ONS Longitudinal Study 1971 to 2011, and Association of Childhood Out-of-Home Care Status with All-Cause Mortality up to 42 years later, Office of National Statistics Longitudinal Study, are research papers by Emily Murray, Amanda Sacker, Rebecca Lacey and Barbara Morn. You can also read a blog about the research on the Child of Our Time website.